I look forward to that. But for now, I want to introduce today's speaker, Pastor Kiki Francois. She is a PhD student in the Interfield Cultural Studies and Religion at Claremont Graduate University. Um, she is a doctoral fellow in the Office of Black Student Affairs and the Protestant Interfaith Priest at the McAllister Center. Really cool. Before that, uh, she is a graduate of Wheaton. Don't tell me. Emory, thank you. Emory in, in uh, Atlanta, right? Uh, so she has been in a rocket as far as her education. She's been studying for a really long time. And so you've got those credentials. She's very well educated, uh, incredibly intelligent. But there isn't always wisdom in that. So I just want to let you know that as impressive as those things are, and believe me, they are impressive. I'm more, far more drawn to Kiki as an activist, as a pastor, um, as a poet, and as you're about to see, as a preacher. So would you please welcome to the pulpit, Kiki Francois. Um, my name is Reverend Kimani Kiki Francois. I am so happy to be behind the sacred desk again. Um, I want to thank Pastor John for this opportunity um, for a third time to let me come and share what's been on my heart and what God has been teaching me over these past few weeks. I also want to thank Dr. Trey and Dominique um, for connecting me with Restoration many months and moons ago um, and allowing me the space and opportunity to be an encouragement here. But also, um, I've been encouraged by hearing your stories, sitting with you all in dialogue about how God has been working through and in your life. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you all. Um, yeah, I have two orders of business before I get into the text this morning. Um, we're going to be reading from um, Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 later on. But first and foremost, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Can we just take a moment and just say happy Father's Day? Yes. <laughs> I called my dad this morning and told him happy Father's Day and how grateful I am for his life and his presence. And um, when I was growing up, he would say to me, Kimani, never give up and trust God. And so uh, my father and I, we are very similar. Not only do I look like him, but also we share a love for culture, food, and uh, basketball. Unfortunately, he's a Lakers fan, so. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm, I love the Miami Heat, and we just lost. So, you know, I'm grieving. I'm in, I'm in mourning. Y'all keep me in prayer. Um, <laughs> But I understand that that story and my own story is far from many stories. Um, today is complex for many individuals and families. There are people today who experience the grief of their first Father's Day without their father due to loss and or broken relationships. There are people who have never met their father and don't have a relationship with the fatherly figure. There are folks who have been abused and or abandoned by their father and they're dealing with the repercussions and the fallout of that reality. There are also people who are trying to make amends with their father and are trying to come back to some form of family structure that benefits all parties involved. There are people in this room and beyond who are new fathers or have been fathers for decades and knows the highs and lows of firsts when raising children. First health scare, first t-ball game, first missing tooth, first all-nighter, first dance, 
first serious conversations about life goals, first heartbreak. There are also some fathers who have lost a child and have experienced the pain of burying a child and waking up with that memory and suffering um, and that reality, that daily reality. There are also, as I would like to call them, inherited fathers, those who stepped up when other fathers have stepped out, and we call this category stepfathers, who've never missed a moment in the lives of their children. Um, so much so uh, that my favorite videos to watch on Instagram is when um, children ask their stepfathers to legally be their father and they hand them these papers to make it official. Have you guys seen some of those videos? Yeah. I think the moment that makes me swell up is um, when the father finds out and he puts his hand over his face and tears start to stream down his eyes because he has felt the magnitude of the responsibility of what it means to be in those, the lives of those children, but he still realized that there's distance between them and now that space is closed. There will be many people in difficult situations today as they experience Father's Day, Father's Day at different levels. And I think it is essential to sit with that complexity of what today means for so many. So I want to invite us into a space for just a minute to pray. Is that okay, Pastor John? <laughs> Let us take a moment and pray for the joy of Father's Day, but also the harsh realities of what today means for so many. I'll give us just a minute. Creator God, Thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you that you want to mend broken relationships and you want us to celebrate healthy ones and to continue to strive to look more like you every day. Lord, we ask that you give our fathers strength today in whatever capacity or moment that they're in. Give them clarity as they lead, serve, and love. It is in your holy name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Second order of business is, uh, as Pastor John already hinted on, it is Juneteenth. Tomorrow is Juneteenth. And as Pastor John mentioned, um, it is a celebration about how far we've come, um, but we do have a long way to go. Um, so Juneteenth just marks our country's second Independence Day. And although it has been long celebrated in the African-American community, this monumental event remains largely unknown to most Americans. So as it has become a national holiday and celebration, it's an opportunity to sit and to remember and to uh, practice the ministry of presence and to kind of look in our own backyard and see what is it that we can contribute or what it, how can we um, repair um, those wounds. So. Just wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you, Pastor John, for already doing that um, earlier. But um, yeah, so now let's get into the text. I'm so excited to be here um, with you all. Uh, we're reading from Psalm 22 and 23, and I've titled this message, Radical Acceptance in the Face of Rejection. So I don't know if we have the scripture up here or I can just read it, um, but we'll be reading from Psalm 22 and 23, and I'll be reading from the uh, NIV translation. From the director of music to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, 
you are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I will cast on you, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me and a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people, and in the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All of you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. But those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied, and those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord, and they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, and he guides me along the right paths. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. There is so much there. (laughs) 
Psalm 22 and 23 are actually meant to be read together. Um, it is such a um, theological, just heavy text. And it's actually foreshadowing to Jesus. Jesus actually says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? And so this is a passion narrative as well. And there's so much going on here. But two things I want to point out in Psalm 22 um, in relation to Psalm 23. The psalmist um, is kind of dealing with despair and faith. And when you look at the text, you can kind of see David self-correct as he's in despair. He's in an intimate, interpersonal relationship with God. And he's saying, God, I know who you are, but this is how I feel. I have the knowledge of what you've done, but this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling abandoned. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm not feeling wanted. I'm in this situation and I have a family structure that is literally falling apart and my enemies are after me and they're saying that I have no faith in you. David is saying in this text, God, they can say whatever they want about you know, our relationship, but not about um, the relationship that I have with you, Lord. And so there is a mixture, a contrast, not necessarily a contradiction in these texts. And so the first point I want to kind of talk about is, what does it mean to be reject, rejected? What are some ways in which we've experienced rejection? How do we feel when we've been abandoned or left out of a group or a job opportunity or something that we really desperately wanted or desired? How do we as Christians respond to rejection? How does rejection affect our self-esteem and how we feel about ourselves? Do we respond in faith? Do we respond with anger? Do we respond with shame or self-doubt? Or do we respond with lament? Do we get depressed? What are the emotions that we experience when we feel rejection? Let's turn to the psalmist. The psalmist is making a complaint about his current condition, about being abandoned in rejection, not only from the creator, but also from people. The psalmist is describing an interpersonal and intimate relationship with God in this longing, like, God, wait, I know your character. I know that you're holy. I know that you're righteous. But this current situation doesn't reflect your character. It reflects my isolation and my loneliness. And so this theme of intimacy popped out at me um, because David is saying, my God, my God, claiming that there is a past or a history that he has with knowing who God is, but also his ancestors, as he mentions in the text, um, has prayed to God for deliverance, and God has shown up prior. So in this moment, David, David is questioning the validity of what God, um, is, of if God will show up in that moment. And so you see this duality of despair and faith, and this self-correction. And that's what happens sometimes with us. We go, I know who God is, but I know what I'm feeling. And you don't want to deny that emotion because it's healthy to get it out and to realize, okay, I'm experiencing this in this moment, but I know God is going to come through. But that's faith. That's how we exercise our faith. That's how we exercise our salvation with fear and trembling and trying to sit in that present moment and saying, God, this is what I feel, but this is who I know you to be. 
sticking on this theme of intimacy, um, a commentary uh, points out that this duality and contradiction and kind of contrast, it says this, faith, lest he should, when he so severely tried to sink into despair, put into his mouth a correction of this language so that he boldly called God of whom he thought he was forsaken um, by his God. But we see he has given the first um, just opportunity for God to work out his faith. But before he allows him, himself, David, to utter his complaint in order to give um, this type of faith and give this type of um, respect to God. And so David in this Psalm 22, one is saying, God, I know who you are, but I know how I'm feeling. And so this kind of self-correction is happening in this moment. This text also points me to trust. Um, as I mentioned before, David having a history with who God is, with Yahweh, um, and saying, God, I have a lineage of people who are not only familiar with this type of rejection, but they are also familiar with trusting you in the, in the face of this type of rejection. Um, so he's making a claim about deliverance. He's making a claim about generating evidence um, of a former present reality or having faith in God, even when it feels hard to do. And so that's kind of what I've taken away from um, David's kind of claim of like, God, you, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust, and they trusted you to deliver them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. And so we see David make this move, um, talking about his ancestors and talking about those who have come before him, who have walked before him, who've prayed before him and for him. And this makes me think about the likes of Juneteenth and about those formerly enslaved Africans who prayed for me in this moment. To do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Who had trust in a God for liberation. And it makes me think about fatherhood, about how people are, you know, sometimes say, you know, I want to be a better father than my father. I want to be half of what he is. And that comes from trusting God to lead, to guide, to cultivate safe spaces, to raise a family. That lineage, that trajectory, that history, that former trust. I love this part, to you they cried out and were saved. You they trusted and were not put to shame. Hmm. Shame feels like rejection, right? It's a product of it. All who see me mock me, and they hurl insults, shaking their heads. How did I get through that, God? Because I had to trust you. I had to remember whose I am. And that's hard to do when you see obstacles and difficulties in front of you, regardless of what form they take. Amen? And so this leads me to my second point about acceptance. And what does acceptance look like? How does it feel to belong? 
How can we as the body of Christ create safe spaces for people of all ethnicities, backgrounds, sexual orientation, and walks of life to feel like they belong? How can we be intentional intentional about the people we serve and the people God is calling us to be public witness to in his kingdom? It starts with acceptance. We have to accept ourselves just as God made us in his image. I cannot stress enough how important it is to get by yourself and discover who, when, where, how, and what God is calling you to. We all have a purpose in this life, and it is so easy to forget. It's so easy to covet another person's purpose. But we have to hear God's voice in the chaos of life and also in the peace and stillness of moments. You have to sit with yourself and remember whose you are and that there is someone on the inside of you called the Holy Spirit leading, tugging, and helping you make the right decisions and choices within your own individual life and your family's life. You have to remember that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. And you have a special call on this planet. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that undoing or doing looks like for you. It could be journaling. It could be therapy. It could be talking to someone who knows you well and who loves you and who who will create that safe space for you to be you. What does acceptance of self look like? With all the flaws, with all the talents and the gifts, How does that feel? Have you taken space or time to get by yourself and listen? Do you have that time? Is that time a privilege in your life? What are ways in which you can craft out that time to find out, God, what is it that you have for me? Because I know the plans that you have for me are good. Maybe it's a dream you've always wanted to, uh, you know, see come to fruition a goal you've set. These are things that are important to you. Howard Thurman says you have to listen to the sound of the genuine. Listen to the sound of the genuine on the inside of you. It's a difficult thing. It's not something that everyone does or can do or have the space to do, but it's important to do that. And I think Um, What David is trying to show us, even in this text, Psalm 22 and 23, is that it's not easy to know who you are or to self-correct when you're feeling like you're in despair, but somehow you still have faith. But I think what David is kind of pointing us to is that you have to not only accept yourself, but realize who accepts you. God accepts you just the way you are. And that type of radical acceptance opens up the door for radical hospitality. Because once you accept yourself, you can make room at the table for someone else to come and sit down and receive what God is doing in their life. And that's what God has called us to do, to commission us, go forth into the nations, right? But you have to know self. 
And so I think for me, how do I answer that question about radical acceptance begins with radical hospitality. And it is through that hospitality that God has shown us that we must first show ourselves in order to create safe spaces for someone else. Man, I don't have much time to get into this text like I want to, but I want to share a story with you all. A few weeks ago, I had the wonderful opportunity to visit Kenya for two weeks with a program through my Baptist denomination called Africa Exchange, Kutana, Kenya. This program is at the intersection of missions, the environment, and community development. And on this trip, I had an experience of a lifetime to sit with the Kenyan people and discuss matters that mattered to them. The program allowed me and 13 other seminarians and kind of MDiv students to see the schools built for children, experience the rich history of Kenya, uh, the different tribes, and one where my name comes from, Kimani. <laughs> but I also had an opportunity to plant trees in different communities as a part of an ongoing project of trying to heal the, the wounds of uh, degradation and deforestation. But the most important and impactful experience for my trip was the radical hospitality that I experienced from Christians during my rural homestay. I stayed with uh, Mary and Mr. Orlando and their 17-year-old daughter, Linda, for two days. We talked about everything under the sun, and we went uh, to church together and worshiped God together. Um, Mary and Mr. Orlando and Linda showed me what it means to accept myself because the Father has already accepted me. And even in those moments when I feel abandoned and like no one is coming to my rescue, the most important lesson I learned was to be content in all things and to accept the hard things about myself and carry myself with dignity because through this radical acceptance, I can show radical hospitality to someone I've never met before. They had no idea who I was other than my name. <laughs> but they opened the doors of their home and participated in this radical hospitality. And they were just so content with everything because they knew who they belonged to. They served and loved me for two straight days as if I was their own. And now we are bonded for life because of the work of Christ. And I understand that not everyone has this opportunity to travel and go certain places to experience radical hospitality. But we can think of moments in our lives where someone has shown up for us in ways that we've never imagined. And so how can we plant seeds of radical acceptance to hopefully grow into this radical hospitality where we share the fruit and bear the fruit of the love of Christ. This message, let's see if I can get this book. This message was inspired by a book entitled Salvation by public intellectual and visionary bell hooks. Um, and I love this text so much because it is about black people in love and um, just ways in which we are, uh, we love each other, but also the ways in which um, we love ourselves. And so um, there's a particular section that I'm going to read from. It's going to be short. But um, let me see if I can find it. She talks about her childhood. And she talks about what it means to be in love. And so when I think about this radical acceptance, this radical hospitality, I think about radical love. And we know that it comes from Christ. 
in the work of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And so this message was inspired by this section. Love and death were the great mysteries of my childhood. When I did not feel love, I did not want to live. Death would take away the trauma of feeling unwanted, out of place, and of always being the one who does not fit in. I knew that then that love gave life meaning, but it disturbed me that nothing I heard about love fit within the world around me. At church, we learned that the love, that love was peaceful, kind, forgiving, redemptive, and faithful. And yet everyone seemed troubled in their relationships. And even as a child, I pondered the gap between what folks said about love and the ways in which they behaved. And as a young woman hoping to find love, I was disappointed in the relationships I witnessed and troubled my own efforts. And even though I was coming into womanhood at a time um, of change, I dreamed of being with someone for a lifetime. My visions of marriage had been shaped by the relationships between my maternal grandmother and grandfather, who had been together for more than 75 years. An essay I wrote about their relationship described how different they were, and yet there was in their... Oh, okay. Even though I kept searching. Thank you. And so as Bell Hooks, the late, great Bell Hooks, talks about love and searching for this type of love and hearing about it in church and seeing these relationships that um, were troubled. We come back to this text, Psalm 22 and Psalm 23, and see that David is here and he's, he's dealing with faith and despair, but he's also dealing with radical love, radical acceptance, and radical hospitality. Listen to how David changes his tone from Psalm 22 to 23. He says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the bright paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil of rejection. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, what I'm saying today is that radical acceptance produces radical hospitality which comes from radical love in the face and midst of any type of rejection and accepting oneself, getting alone, getting with people, loving your neighbor, that produces the work that Christ came to do and to continue through our lives and will come back to do. So as we meditate on Psalm 22 and 23, and I encourage you all to just read it on your own and see what sticks out to you about acceptance, about this trust, about the ancestors and who have prayed before us for us to be here. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you right now. We just want to thank you for your love. We want to thank you for your mercy. We want to thank you for your hope and encouragement. We want to thank you that you have not abandoned us, but you are here with us leading us, guiding us, loving us, showing us, teaching us 
how to radically accept who you've made in your image. Lord, we know that radical acceptance leads to radical hospitality to invite someone else to the table to witness your glory and your goodness, Lord, because it is all about you. And we are thankful that we get an opportunity to participate in your work, in your love, and that we get an opportunity to love our neighbor and to build community and to unify each other and to press towards the mark in in the higher calling of Christ Jesus. Lord, we know that when we get weary or when we faint, you pick us up and you are our encourager and you love us just as we are. So God, as we go throughout the week, remind us of that. Help us to reflect on how good you are and how you've been here this whole time. God, we love you and we wouldn't want to do this without you. It is in your precious holy name we pray. Amen and amen.